0: Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Esther Julie and her husband Jacob Fu run Local Adventurer. (laughs) That's a tough word to say. Local Adventurer, which was recently named one of the top five travel blogs in the world. While some of us have been conditioned to think of travel as something inaccessible, exotic, or aspirational, Esther and Jacob take a very different approach that values curiosity, gratitude, and contentment in their travel. As their name suggests, they encourage us to find local adventures. In fact, every year for seven years, Esther and Jacob moved to a new hometown to fully explore the region and uncover all the local gems there for readers, all while also traveling internationally for their blog. So with that said, I might just be the only person who found Esther not through Local Adventurer, but through her food blog, MomsKoreanRecipes.com. If you're a regular listener, you know that last month I did a Mother's Day series. And while researching possible guests for the series, I found this food blog that Esther started both as a COVID project and in response to her grandmother's death. As Esther says, although she was born in Korea, there is not much about her that remains Korean. So she turned to her mother and food to reclaim some of that heritage. As many of us are gearing up for travel this summer. Yay! Yay! I'm thrilled to have Esther on to share her story, a few travel tips, and also to help us think about some important topics related to food, identity, travel, and the intersection of all of these points, which might be home. Esther's story reminds us that everyone deserves their home country, their hometown, and their home culture to be a welcoming place, and just what we can do to ensure that. Hey, Esther. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Esther, I think I'm probably the only one who found you through your food blog first.
1: I think so too. I was actually very surprised because it was something that I just launched and I, I'm i surprised if people still find it because I, I don't think it's, I put it like, promoted it yet, really.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit, let's start with that. Tell me a little bit about that project. It never would have happened without COVID, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. So the project initially started, yeah, because of quarantine and mm. because no one was traveling anymore or right. very few people were traveling that our traffic on our travel blog actually plummeted. So I was yeah. thinking, wow, I thought travel would never be yeah. something that would go away, but right. I mean, to our surprise, there's a lot of things that happened that we didn't think would happen. And That's for so sure. I was thinking, okay, well, like, we'll write it out and see what happens. But just in case, can't put all our eggs in one basket, we need to diversify and see what else we could do. And at the time, my mom was visiting me because I had just gone into two surgeries and I was recovering and they came to kind of help oh, win the recovery. Okay. And because she was cooking a lot, I was thinking, hey, why don't we put these recipes up somewhere? Because I also need to learn these recipes right. eventually.
0: <laughs> right. It was kind of a business and a personal decision. Yes. Both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell me, first of all, a little bit from the perspective of a travel blogger, this is your full-time job, you and your husband, both, like you said, there kind of was no plan B. I'm curious how you experienced that. It's almost like that. Where were you when JFK was shot or where were you when the towers fell? Like, I feel like that whole week, where it came crashing into us like a freight train, what COVID was going to mean. I'm wondering like how you and Jacob experienced that together. Did you feel threatened and terrified or did you feel like, oh, this is a time for us to just slow down and work on some other things? Like how did that feel from a, I mean, that's a really unique position for you to be in as travel bloggers.
1: Yeah. So if you put a more positive spin on it, we just moved into a new house. So Mm. it kind of gave us an opportunity to slow down and work on, I mean, home ownership, there's a lot of things you have to deal with, (laughs) with that. So it gave us time to do that. And we were already used to working together 24 seven anyways. So relationship wise, that didn't change too much. That's such a um, good point. Yeah. As far as travel goes, we it was just good to not always be on the go because that's what we yeah. had been doing for the yeah. past six, seven years. And while we lived in New York, I felt like it was constant go, go, go. So it was just an opposite 180 Yeah, from that.
0: Yeah. So there was almost a little bit of a relief to it.
1: There was a relief. There was yeah. also stress from not knowing what would happen, but yeah, good and bad, both good and
0: bad. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe for you, it didn't hit like a freight train. Maybe for you, it thought like, Oh, we're going to be shut down for two weeks. This will be great. Or a month or three months. That'll be great. And then maybe later you started to think, Oh, wow, this is, this is going to be a little bit of a longer term situation. Yeah, That's more. I think all of us
1: thought it would only last a couple months at most. Right. Yeah. But after maybe six months or a year. We're like, this is not going away. This is, (laughs) this might never go away. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Although I can only imagine now, I'm guessing your views must be higher than ever at this point.
1: It is going up a lot. I don't know that it fully has recovered to what it was before, but it has been going up.
0: So that's a good sign. Yeah, good. I'm happy for you. Well, I have no doubt. Um, we're planning a lot of travel <laughs> as a family. There's six of us. And we're planning a lot of travel. We're looking into a lot of these sites. So I'm very optimistic. So prior, you were moving somewhere new every year to become a local in that area, to become a local adventurer in that area. Prior to COVID, you had already decided to just sit tight in Las Vegas for a while, Correct.
1: We did. We, well, we were looking for houses. We couldn't find anything for a while because there were a lot of Californians moving in and swooping in and taking up the houses. Oh. So we weren't sure. We weren't sure if we would get one, but we oh. did. Yeah, good. It worked out perfectly, actually.
0: Yeah, I'm glad about that. And it also sounds like the timing worked out well in terms of, I, I don't want to go personal, but it sounds like you had some health issues that needed to be dealt with dealt with with surgery and it wouldn't have been a good time to travel at least initially anyhow.
1: Yeah, I was, at, I was worried about going to the hospital, but it, mm. it was good that we ended up having to deal with all of that here.
0: Mm-hmm. And weren't trying to keep up with an intense travel schedule.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. timing. Yeah. It just worked out.
0: Yeah. So, well, so let's talk a little bit more about this blog that you started with your mom, because again, so many people know you as a travel expert and I know they would love to know more about you and your, your history. And so tell me, you said you wanted to learn these recipes from your mom, right?
1: I did. So also earlier last year, my grandma passed away. Okay. And so it it got me to thinking, wow, I didn't really even get to hear a lot of her stories. Mm. We already lost a lot of I lost a lot of my heritage just growing up in the US and yeah, just being Americanized, you know. I don't feel like there's that much that's Korean about me. Mm. And so after my grandma died, I was thinking, okay, what else can I preserve right now? Are there any recipes that she used to make or are there any? stories that my mom can tell me that, you know, I could just pass on, you know?
0: Mm, Yeah, exactly. For sure. Well, one of the things that I did read in another interview is someone asked you if you traveled much as a kid and you said that, let's see what it said. It said money was a big issue in my family growing up. So I rarely traveled except for spending summers in Korea funded by my extended family and doing the quintessential all American family road trips. So most of your mother's family, I take it was still in Korea when you were growing up.
1: Actually, both sides of my extended family are still in Korea. Okay. Everyone except for maybe one uncle, but everyone else is still in Korea.
0: Wow. So when I hear that, I'm just filled with awe for your mother and your father. It sounds like as well. I think that must have been incredibly brave of them. So tell me a little bit about their story. Where in Korea they grew up and when they decided to move to the US and what what made them make that decision. A lot of times people move as a, you know, as an entirely extended family, but that's not your mom's story. So tell me about that.
1: Yeah, they were definitely alone, and some like to call them the black sheep of the family because oh, they left.
0: For making but that choice.
1: For, yeah, for sure. So my mom grew up on a farm in a rural area, maybe two, three hours south of Seoul. And my dad grew up in another city, Daejeon. They both grew up there, met in, I believe, Seoul when my mom was in college, but they ended up immigrating. My mom, as I was growing up, my mom would always tell me, oh, they came to the U.S. for more opportunities. Mm. And my mom was getting her PhD in the U.S. So that's what the story she told me. But one summer when I went to Korea, the rest of the extended family basically told me, no, your mom and dad basically ran away because my grandma, her mother-in-law was pretty hard on her. So they told me that they basically ran away because of that. And it wasn't exactly for more opportunities and education because they were already kind of figuring that out pretty well in Korea.
0: Getting a Um, PhD for sure. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So later on as an adult, when I asked her about that, she did tell me, she did admit to the fact that she did kind of run away from the family.
0: That's incredible. I mean, For me, it's very interesting that there was a different narrative there. And it's interesting to me also that she felt like there was only one narrative she was allowed to have as an immigrant.
1: I do think that if they stayed in Korea, it would have been easier on them for sure. Mm. But, yeah, the narrative generally is come to the U.S. for more opportunities,
0: the American dream. Right. And I'm saying it's interesting. She felt like she didn't want to tell you that she and your dad personally would have more freedom as a family if they were kind of away from their extended families.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that she wanted to talk bad about the family. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, she
1: did kind of hide some of that from me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And i that's I think, we're, you know, honorable that she didn't want to speak poorly of others. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So how were you then raised? You know, you said that you didn't feel like there was much that was left Korean about you. And I'm curious about that transition. Did you feel that you were raised, you know, Korean? And specifically, did your mom communicate to that to you through her food? Uh, I guess she
1: did cook mostly Korean food. Mm. But I was actually born in Korea and then I moved here when I was two, two and a half. So I don't have much memory of it, but Mm. having to adjust here apparently was pretty hard for me. Mm.
0: I don't really have much.
1: Yeah. Mm. The stories that they would tell, I don't have that many memories of when I was a kid, other than maybe falling off my bike. And that was really <laughs> traumatizing. But the other stuff I don't really remember too mm-hmm. much. But from the stories my mom would tell me, I used to be bullied because I was the only different one. And I grew up in the Midwest. So
0: okay.
1: I there weren't many Asian people there. Mm-hmm. There are some people who didn't even know that there was a whole Asian race out there.
0: Are you serious?
1: Yeah, I do have a crazy memory of when I was in middle school or high school that a kid referred to me as a white person. And I was thinking, wait a second, I'm not white. (laughs) And then and then that kid was like, well, what are you then? Are you black? So then that just kind of blew my mind.
0: (laughs) Wow. He had two categories, white or black.
1: Basically. Yeah, that was all he was ever exposed to. That's
0: back then. Unreal. That's incredible. That's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, I grew, I, I'm i from DC. I grew up in an incredibly diverse area, but I hear, I hear stories like this again and again, and they always amaze me, but it is, that's why it's important to hear people's stories because I think we can maybe even better understand like the climate in our country right now, hearing that. Yeah. story. Mm-hmm. It, um, it is interesting. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's interesting also that your mom's the one who remembers that story more than you. Like, you didn't remember going home and crying and feeling picked on and feeling bullied. Like, that's not your overwhelming feeling when you look back on your school days.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Maybe I was so traumatized that I can't remember, or I'm not yeah. really sure why, but I, I don't really have that many memories as a kid. It was just, yeah, they basically told me I would come home crying and then... I was also ashamed of being Korean because Mm -hmm. I thought it would be much easier if I just grew up white, everyone else was white. So Mm. I wanted to eat like American food. I wanted to do the American things because I didn't want to be different Mm -hmm. from everyone. And my parents just let that happen because they knew it was hard on me. So Mm -hmm. they thought that it would be best to just assimilate. And Mm. yeah, the only reason that I might have kept up with any part of me that was Korean is more for my grandma mm. to be able to communicate with her
0: mhm did she, she lived back in korea though
1: no she actually moved to the us to raise me oh, while my mom did. was getting her phd so okay. basically my grandma was more like my mom growing up i did yeah. at one point i thought she was my mom
0: oh i understand okay 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 and did she speak korean with you she
1: did. She didn't learn English because it was way later. And mm-hmm. she didn't grow up with an education because the mm-hmm. opportunity wasn't there for her at the time. But
0: wow. So she spoke Korean and she probably cooked almost exclusively Korean foods for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see. I see. So then when you returned, to Korea for these vacations with your extended family. Do you remember those more than you remember your school days? And if so, do you remember it feeling like home or did it feel foreign or was it kind of this odd mix of the two?
1: I think it felt more foreign. Mm. Mm -hmm. When I think about it, I think it, yeah, it definitely did feel more foreign. I don't know that I quite identified as Korean and even going back there now, they would see me as a foreigner. So that's right. the crazy thing growing up as an Asian American is sometimes you don't feel like you belong here because people yeah. in the US will make you feel like you don't belong. But if you go, if I go back to Korea, they also see me as a foreigner because right. culturally or the way I dress or everything that I do isn't Korean to them. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost more like you're a third culture child, someone who's yeah, raised somewhere- without. Yeah. Without a home culture. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you like your grandmother's cooking? A, did you like it in the way it tasted? And B, did you like it in terms of, you know, for so many people listening, food is really a love language. Like, did you feel that expression of love from your grandmother's cooking? Or did you feel like it was a conf- Did you feel conflicting feelings about it because it wasn't American?
1: I think I felt more conflicting feelings Mm -hmm. because I felt like I wanted to grow up in a more traditionally American family. Yeah. So back then I was definitely more ashamed. And now I kind of I regret that I didn't allow more of it, you know, Mm -hmm. because I I feel like we lost so much over Mm -hmm. the years. Mm hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And now you have this blog as a way to try uh, this secondary blog as a way to try to really not so much like put it out in the world, but to kind of hold yourself accountable to reclaim some of these memories. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So can we talk about this radish? Kim? Well, first of all, I need help pronouncing it. I don't know how to pronounce the last word. The Is it dong chimmy? Kimmy?
1: Tongchimi. So 동치미. people either okay. call it. There are two ways they call it. There's bulgimchi, which is water kimchi, uh-huh. and then some people also call it tongchimi. So it's. It's called two different ways, and I just put both titles up there. You, okay.
0: Okay. That was, <laughs> that was my first question about it. Yeah. So the questions. So tell me a little bit what those categories mean, because I thought I could be totally ignorant about this. That kimchi was always a pickled cabbage. Of course, I think of it as spicy, and is the forgive me. It's. <laughs> Okay. And is that also a pickled thing or is that a cabbage based thing? I know that this has a lot of radishes in it. Like, is it specific to radishes? Give me the categories for those two
1: things. It is specific to radish. Okay. Well, I'm not super knowledgeable about Korean cuisine. I just know what I know. And maybe kimchi is just the fermentation process. So
0: it's just fermented cabbage, but this is a,
1: a way they ferment radish in
0: water. I see. Okay. So the kimchi probably, and I'll, I'll look it up to double check, but the kimchi probably refers to the process of fermenting. The
1: fermentation. So there could be like a cucumber kimchi, or you could make a radish kimchi, or there's a variety of, but the most well-known is probably the Napa cabbage.
0: Okay. Got it. Yes. You've totally explained this to me. I feel less ignorant already. So, <laughs> so thank you. Yes.
1: And I hope it's right because I hope I'm not just giving you random bad information. <laughs> no, but- I-
0: I think it what I know. <laughs> I'm doing a little Googling. I'm doing a little Googling while I, while you talk. And that actually, that adds up with what I'm reading. And I have like a super gracious, curious, fun <laughs> listener base. And I know they'll let me know if there's more, if there's more I okay. need to understand yeah. about it, but they'll tell you if, you're wrong. <laughs> if <laughs> yes. you're wrong. This seems right. This seems right. So tell me why you chose this particular recipe to share with me? Like, what do you recall about this? Why is it special to you?
1: Well, I remember eating it a lot growing up, but I didn't realize until more recently that my mom would be feeding me this if I had digestion issues or if I was sick. I didn't realize that that's what's behind it. And having some conversations with some of my other Asian friends, Asians in general, they're not very Asian parents, I don't want to say all, but mm. a lot of them are not great with verbal affection or saying mm. things like, I love you. Mm-hmm. They generally say it through food, like making sure you're taken care of or making sure you're eating. One of my friends was telling me her mom would always say, have you eaten? And that's her way to say, I love you.
0: Yes. I have heard that many times. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's just Asian culture for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. And so when you when your mom fed you this, you felt loved and particularly because it was it's almost maybe like uh, Asian equivalent to like the American chicken noodle soup. It's that thing you eat mm-hmm. when you're sick.
1: For sure. Mm. And this is more in hindsight. I don't think as a kid I realized this.
0: Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. Okay. Got it. Tell me a little bit about the division of labor between your mom and your grandmother. Is it just as your grandmother got older, your mom took on more of the cooking or they both enjoyed doing that together? How did that work?
1: My mom didn't cook as much when I was growing up because Mm -hmm. she was getting her PhD. So I think after that, that's when, and my grandma, at some point she had Alzheimer's. So that's when my mom and my dad kind of took over more of those duties.
0: Wow. Wow. So she came to take care of you and then they ended up taking care of her. Yes. Mm, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And what is your mom's PhD in? Organic chemistry. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And then she must have ended up using that in the workplace.
1: Yes, to some extent. So in between... Her most recent job, my dad's actually a pastor. So she basically helped with that ministry for a really long time. And then I coming see. back into the workforce, it was harder to get a job.
0: Wow. Um, wow. Taking so- that
1: time off. So she ended up working in a lab, but not, I feel like she was definitely overqualified for her job.
0: Yes. I see what you mean. Yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So I have a couple of questions specifically. One, I have rice flour. I've gotten rice flour for, it was actually, it was a nying cake. It was a Chinese recipe, but it's glutinous rice flour. Is that different than this? This Then
1: the one that I'm using. Yeah. This goes for sweet
0: rice flour. Yeah. I
1: think the one, the one we normally use is just the mochiko. So Oh, because I'm it's e- take... also very easy to find at any oh. grocery store.
0: Mochico rice flour. Okay. Okay. I've Mm -hmm. got that. Okay, that's really good to know. Then I'll definitely get that. I definitely want to use what you use and learn to make it the way your mom did and your grandmother. So how about these Korean radishes? I've seen pictures of them, but for my listeners, can you explain what they look like? Because some of us who were raised here in the West, we hear radishes and we just think of, you know, the fuchsia color. Oh, this
1: small, yeah. Yeah. So So tell me about Korean radishes. I feel like maybe you might be more familiar with the Japanese ones. The, yeah, the Daikon. The Daikon radish. And it it looks pretty similar, I would say. Mm-hmm. So I think Daikon radishes are a little bit longer.
0: And okay.
1: Korean radishes are rounder, maybe a little shorter and rounder. But they taste pretty similar. The only thing is it has a slight kick. The Korean one has Mm. A, a little peppery maybe mm-hmm. spicy ish mm-hmm. it's not too much but it's a slight maybe aftertaste
0: mm. okay so there
1: is there is a difference between yes. the two but there were times that we would substitute daikon radish it's not as good but it can work
0: Okay, that's great to know, and I'm going to do my best. We have plenty of Korean um, markets around here, so I'm going to do my best to find that one. And then Mm -hmm. my last question is Korean red pepper. Is that a hot, spicy pepper? It is a spicy pepper. Do you ever get them dry, or are they always fresh?
1: I do not. So isn't it the pepper powder that I, the pepper flakes that I mentioned?
0: Mm, I don't think in the recipe. I think in the recipe it says one... (gasps) One oh, I red Korean pepper optional. I
1: see, oh, I see. So my grandma actually used to dry these out in the sun, and my mom would tell me she was oh, the wow. best at at cutting them into these tiny little slivers. And those are mostly for it's mostly decorative, I would say, because they want to add like the pretty red highlight or a pretty red. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Like the the little pop pops of color.
1: Yeah. The pop of color. I'm not sure that it changes the flavor of it that much.
0: Okay. So we've talked a little bit about like just kind of these stereotypes, maybe. So for one thing that immigrants come to get more opportunities or a better life, and that wasn't necessarily the case you know, Mm -hmm. in your home. And then another one that you brought up is that Asian parents have trouble articulating feelings of love, you know, and you said that was, you know, particularly true in your home. It is true
1: in in our household, for sure. And I think my mom started to be more expressive. After after my grandma died, she started to say, I love you, which was kind of Mm. awkward. (laughs) It felt Mm. awkward because it's never, you know, it's never- happened in our household but she she also I mean having lived here a while she wanted to Mm. start being more expressive of that after my Mm -hmm. grandma passed just because Mm -hmm. she felt like she wasn't able to communicate that enough to Mm -hmm. her before she passed Mm,
0: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and maybe always kind of maybe wanted to hear it a little bit also
1: maybe for sure
0: maybe. Yeah. And so when she first started to say that to you, that was a little bit difficult for you to receive at first? It was,
1: it was jarring. <laughs> like, what are you saying to me? Like, you never do this.
0: Right. And it's not that you had any doubt it was true. You just weren't sure to how to respond because you didn't have that, like, you didn't have that script yeah. written between you guys.
1: Exactly. It just, it's unnatural, but I guess the more you do it, the more it, you get used to it.
0: Right, right, right. So another stereotype, and I offer this as a stereotype, knowing full well, it's not true. And that's why I'm asking you like so far, one was not true. One was, you've always been an entrepreneur. You've always worked for yourself. Mm -hmm. And before you were a travel blogger, you were a wedding photographer. And I'm curious how, especially with your mother being so well-educated as you know, a PhD holder, how your parents felt about you taking what was maybe like a less traditional career path?
1: Yeah, they weren't happy about it. They weren't. Okay. They were not. So my dad, he, he really wanted me to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. because he wanted to be a doctor. And his father wouldn't let him be a doctor and told him he needed to be an engineer. So he became an engineer. And then later pushed on his aspirations <laughs> onto me. Wow. But for the longest time, even after I had been doing this for a while, he still came to me and was like, So are you gonna take the
0: MCAT? Yeah. <laughs> like, wh- why?
1: <laughs> why?
0: Right. It was <laughs> like, this was like years. a fun little diversion, but when are you exactly. going to move on to your real career? Like
1: the- Exactly. Like, when are you going to go back to school and finish this up and do what I always wished I. Had?
0: Right. Right. Well, so I have to ask though. Then, if he wanted to be a doctor, his dad had him be an engineer, but he ended up as a pastor. I let's take a little a diversion. How did that? Yeah. Uh, take a, so, go?
1: well, so he was an engineer in Korea, and then when we moved to the U.S., mm. I'm not sure that he knew exactly what he was going to do, but mm. at some point, he had had a stroke. Oh, and in that moment, he felt like God saved him from that so that in that he dedicated his life to the ministry Wow. while he was, yeah, I I don't really know how that happens, but I guess in his subconscious or while he was unconscious, that's what he decided. So from that point on, he went to seminary and pursued that.
0: Wow. And you, as far as you know, your mom was always supportive of that. Yeah. So tell me about your path to becoming a wedding photographer, which P.S. I was totally a wedding photographer. That's what I did before I switched to this. I was, yep, in the D.C. market and my sister-in-law and I did it together. I'm so curious to hear about, you know, this is kind of a non-traditional path. Tell me about your path to becoming a wedding photographer and then meeting Jacob and then you guys together pivoting to life as travel bloggers.
1: So we did quite, we did a lot of pivots actually in our life. (laughs) Oh, it's not that simple. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't just like from one to the other. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually have a background in chemistry as well. Okay. Like mother, (laughs) like
0: daughter. (laughs)
1: Kind of. Well, I told them I never wanted to, like I actually resented them for how um, sheltered I was and I never wanted to do what they did. But, you know, the older you get, you're just, you just end up kind of becoming like your parents (laughs) anyway. So I ended up, yeah. And you're still
0: quite young, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I did. So before I wanted to go to school for art, Mm -hmm. but my parents, never thought that was practical. So I went to college, I ended up doing chemistry. And in the middle of all that, I started shooting weddings on the weekends, because I loved photography. And somehow, I got a referral from a friend, and then they started referring out. And I didn't expect this to happen. But slowly, I was already starting to run a photography business, even without meaning to from the beginning. Yeah. So at that point, I had to decide whether I should pursue this full time or to keep doing it being a weekend warrior. And I ended up just wanting to try it out and to see where it went. And yeah. so I was shooting weddings on my own for a while. And then Jacob, he is actually exceptional at the business side of things. So yeah. that helped me a lot because starting any business, you have to wear a lot of hats and do. Everything Absolutely. and you're not necessarily good at everything, but you're just no. kind of juggling everything at the same yes, time. Yes. And so yes. And so when he came on, I was like, you need to do this because I really don't enjoy the business side and I'm yeah. juggling it. I'm just doing it because he's so good at it. He ended up taking on that part of the business
0: yeah yeah, which is such a gift. And I think that's why you so often see husband wives teams mm-hmm. because there is, and actually, that's part of the reason that I worked with my sister- in-law. She is a phenomenal businesswoman. She mm-hmm. loves that. And you just you have to do both. If you're going to keep shooting weddings and loving it, it has to be a sustainable lifestyle. And to make it sustainable, you have to have, profitable business. So you have to have both. And it's rare for one person to be good at both.
1: And when we talk to other photographers, they would even say the business side is more important because you see a lot more successful photographers that aren't as talented as some of the photographers. You know, like there are so many amazing photographers that just can't quite get the business because they're just focused more on the art of it.
0: A hundred percent, a hundred percent, right. And so you knew if you were going to keep doing this, you you kind of had to have Jacob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, what was the next pivot?
1: So the next pivot was I was getting burnt out from shooting weddings. I shot weddings for maybe seven, eight years. Yep. And Jacob, he had started a YouTube channel with his brother. Yes. Which was kind of picking up. And so there was an opportunity for him to move out to LA because that's where everything was more central, like the entertainment industry and YouTube was, you know, more the hub. The YouTubers were all moving to LA as well. So we all moved to LA so that they could pursue that and see where that led them. And in the meantime, I wasn't really sure what to do with myself. I wasn't about to start shooting weddings out there
0: and yeah to rebuild um, a business from scratch
1: rebuild yeah Yeah. the client base out on the west coast I wasn't ready to do that and I was already burnt out anyway so I kind of took that opportunity to kind of take the year off which didn't go super well because I'm not good at resting (laughs) so (laughs) I'm not good at resting You rested by coming
0: up with like a huge new business plan. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Or it was just, yeah, it didn't last long at all. And I love to travel. We both love to travel, but I didn't have the chance to edit my personal photos as much because I always had client photos to edit. So this was the first time I was able to edit my own personal photos and kind of put it out into the world. And I also didn't know when I first started that blog that I would end up doing the travel blog full time. I did see other bloggers make income from it, which did intrigue me because I feel like anytime I do a new hobby, I don't know what it is about my brain, but I think, oh, how can we monetize this? (laughs) This Is where my brain goes automatically, even if I don't want, don't intend to. It just, that's how my brain is wired. So yeah, I just interesting. ended up. So Jacob's yeah. not the only
0: one with some business sense. Maybe well, he has no, the time to follow through, but it sounds like you have. That
1: also. <laughs> yeah. He's good at managing everything and following through. I feel like I get really excited about startup ideas and the beginning of a business, but then, you know, I have a lot of ideas and yeah. maybe if he wasn't there and none of them would go through.
0: I, I hear, but, Well, I read in an interview with just Jacob, he did say that you are kind of like the creative force behind everything. He feels it's beautiful the way you guys give credit. He said like all of the ideas come from come from Esther.
1: And then he makes sure it happens. Yeah. <laughs> he like keeps me accountable. Yes, which forward. is so,
0: so, so powerful.
1: It is. It is.
0: Yeah. So then what happened to the YouTube channel?
1: So he and his brother did that for two years. And then it just ended up breaking even it didn't make enough money to support both of them. Yeah. So he ended up leaving that and helping me and then he was doing YouTube kind of on the side for a little bit with his brother until he ended up kind of letting his brother take that part of it. Okay, I see. Now we're kind of putting some YouTube content out there but that's just more secondary like our blog is the main focus and every other social part of it you have to do it but it's
0: basically pointing to the blog right 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 the blog is again to the the word hub now is stuck in my head and then the (laughs) YouTube channel which is great I saw a couple videos the YouTube channel really supports it yes yeah Got it. Got it. Well, so to kind of like bring this back around full circle. So (laughs) it's so funny, because I feel like your parents were actually quite adventurous and free spirited and maybe even rebellious, like in their own way, even though they maybe like wanted you to go down these traditional routes or whatever. The truth is, it feels like all of this was kind of in you from the, (laughs) from the beginning. And I'm curious, like if your mom had had the same opportunities, do you think you could imagine her doing something like this? Being a traveler so, actually
1: no, no okay. she actually doesn't enjoy traveling. She she's doesn't. more of a she's more of a homebody. she has a garden at home mm. and she just likes to spend time with her plants, which I'm just starting to get into plants oh, but um, garden. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my dad was more of the traveler. He went oh. everywhere without us even and I saw a photo of him at Disney. Disney World, and I was like, What are you doing? Like, you never took me here. I was actually mad at him because, for like, sure, I, wa- I want to go. Like, why are you going here without me? Oh, that's so funny! That's so funny. So it was funny. just kind of like a side of him that I guess mm. I never really knew because. Mm-hmm. I, I always just saw him as, oh, like my pastor, dad, mm-hmm. you know,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: versus seeing like other facets of him. Yeah.
0: Yes. Isn't that the hardest thing to kind of see your parents objectively or as other people mm-hmm. see them or as, yeah. Maybe, yeah, like the raw version of themselves. I mean, I'm still going back to, for whatever reason they did it, that was pretty bold. That was like a bold move for your parents to just pick up and be like, that's it. We're going to go to a whole nother country without family. We don't know the language. I'm going to keep continuing Uh my education. And we've talked some about, you know, like how you felt like you had no choice really, but to become Americanized, how you've kind of like stuffed down these memories that your parents have shared of how you felt so out of place. And Uh I guess I'm curious how you do feel about the climate in our country right now towards Asian-Americans. I'm going to kind of ask three questions and you can take any or none of them in whatever order you want. So how you feel about the climate in the country right now as an Asian American, if you worry for your parents or if you feel that they're safe mm-hmm. and if that affects your travel in any way, like has that ever like maybe affected your experience or what you've been able to do or how do you feel like you've been perceived. And I guess I will add on a fourth is do you feel some sort of like responsibility as this Asian American travel blogger to have a different perspective or to say something different to your audience?
1: Okay. So yeah. how I feel about it. Mm. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know that I've quite processed it because mm. I feel like just even hearing about the attacks kind of brings up, I don't even have these memories, but I feel like there yeah. was a sentiment back when I was growing up that like it was just a negative yeah. sentiment.
0: Yeah, it um, was just a general feeling. Even if you don't have specific memories, you yeah. have this general sense or aura of not feeling safe and welcomed. At oh, not,
1: home. Oh, yeah, not yeah. feeling welcomed for sure. Welcomed. So yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that, Now, like going out, I don't personally feel like I'm going to get attacked just walking Mm. around. But then again, I don't go places on my own. So I'm not sure. I'm not Mm. sure if I were to walk around by myself. I'm not sure if I would feel unsafe because I just don't do it. Mm. But maybe. Mm. But I definitely do worry about my parents' safety just because Mm. they're older. And it seems like a lot of the attacks are happening on you know, older people, mm-hmm. elders. Yeah. So I worry about their safety. And I do think about even before the pandemic and the xenophobia, I, anytime we traveled to a smaller town, I almost expected them to be racist just because really? mm. um, growing up in the Midwest, like that's just what you get. They're not exposed to different cultures and different mm. people. So that's just what they know. And so even even when we traveled to more rural areas, we would get the oddest questions or just we would experience racism in different ways.
0: And how would that how would that come out? Like, how did you experience that?
1: Oh, um, it was mainly things in passing, I would uh-huh. say, mm. like there would be. A lady that would be this old, really older lady that mm. would be just really rude to us when we were asking mm. questions. And then mm. our very good looking white actor friend would go in and talk to her, and she would be like the sweetest granny. Mm. And you're like, what is going I don't understand what's mm-hmm. happening here. Mm-hmm. And then, and then sometimes mm-hmm. it Except would. Except you did I don't understand. That, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, other times we would, we ate in like a rural part of eastern Oregon Mm. and we met some people from Wyoming and they when they talked to us or would ask us questions they would ask us things like oh so were you guys in an arranged marriage because that's what like I guess they knew somebody that was Asian that was in an arranged marriage (laughs) it's just like the most bizarre bizarre things and I, I don't know that they're it's not like a malicious thing but it's more of that ignorance I would Mm. say just not knowing Mm. that people people come from all sorts of different backgrounds and Mm. have different experiences and
0: yeah yeah, just I mean I think the term that I hear a lot is like I have air quotes going like othering as in like you're in a different uh, category than me I wouldn't have an arranged marriage but I'm assuming that you are because you're different and it's just kind of this like well why would you assume that I'm different than you
1: (laughs) Mm hmm. And they, and like they it comes off more as a curiosity, I mm. guess. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times it is like from my end, I think, OK, so like you never really accepted me here to begin with. Like, mm. what do I do with what do I do with that?
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. How about Esther, when you traveled internationally, did you ever feel I'm curious if you were perceived more as an Asian or if you were perceived as an American? And if,
1: definitely Asian.
0: <laughs> definitely Asian. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Depend and depending on where, yeah, like because people just look at you from the outside for the yeah. most part. So and before, sometimes it was beneficial because a lot of times when you go to European countries, people would think Americans are obnoxious, so it would kind of come in handy before. <laughs> but now, now that there's so many Chinese tourists out there, and then. Like mm. with COVID and all that, I don't, I don't know oh, that. It helps.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess you haven't had, I mean, obviously you haven't had any. Yeah. We haven't with, traveled yeah.
1: internationally yet. Mm-hmm. And I imagine people say that there's so many issues in the U S with racism, but I mean, it's everywhere. Mm,
0: mm, mm. Well, that was my question is kind of, did you feel that you experienced it equally internationally as you did locally?
1: Yeah. E- I would say equally just not at a deeper level because we were only there briefly so it would just be a lot of these brief interactions that yeah. just don't really matter but like in yeah. the U.S. it kind of cuts deeper because sure. we grew up here I was in school with these people or like I had these relationships with these yeah. people who still think that I'm a, a different person like yeah. a, an other or a foreigner.
0: Yeah, you can't just blow it off. And I actually think that for I think that's a really good point to kind of like underscore for some of those who are like more of a majority ethnicity or or have had the majority experience in the U.S. Because a lot of us have traveled internationally or have been in like very small in very, very controlled situations have been the minority just in those situations. And so we kind of feel like, oh, well, I know how it feels because I've had this experience. Like we can point to maybe a small handful of experiences, but I think it's really important to underscore what you just said, which is that's not really the same. Like it's actually pretty easy to blow those off, but it's when every experience relates back to this really negative I feel like the word traumatic is overused, so I don't want to be, but I mean, it was traumatic if you came home every day crying and you have basically like pushed out all of those memories. Like, so when every Mm -hmm. little experience relates back to that major, well, let's put it this way. I think, you know, you said a sense of unwelcome that pervaded your entire childhood. That is Mm -hmm. really, really different.
1: And also when you're traveling, you are a foreigner. So you you are a guest either way, like whether you're American or um, Mm. from an Asian country, you just know that you're a foreigner. So you'll be Mm. treated like a foreigner. That's expected Mm. because you are. Mm. But like when you're here or in the U.S., you're like, well, this is my home. Why am I not treated like I belong here?
0: What a great point. Do you feel a responsibility as an Asian American blogger who has kind of a platform, do you feel a responsibility? And is that, yeah. Do you feel that?
1: I mean, I do. And I don't, it's just, mm. it's hard because I also feel like I haven't quite been able to process all yeah. of it, all of what's going on. And yeah. I also feel like this is a toxic part of social media where you feel this pressure from other people to have to say something at yes. a specific time yes. when I don't even know that I'm ready to say anything because I haven't yeah. processed this. Maybe I just need to see a therapist and process it first, but yeah. I just haven't been able to do it. So yeah. there yeah. is a part of me that feels a responsibility because I do have a platform, but at the same time, I just also don't want to it to be like a guilt that other people are placing on me where I need to share something because on behalf of them, you know, a
0: hundred percent, a hundred percent,
1: or like putting yeah. a blank statement out or just yep. cause everyone jumping on that, which I mean, right? of course, probably might be easier or I don't, I don't know if it's easier,
0: but no, I, um, well, I think it's always a little bit harder to kind of live authentically, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I really do. So. Yeah.
1: So eventually, I I do want to. I just don't know that I'm I'm ready because I don't know that I've I've thought it through.
0: Yeah. So just to finish up, wrap this up, and I want to tell all of my listeners more about your blog. It is such a super cool concept. This idea of going and staying in one place and and embracing what you have. It's so rooted in gratitude, you know, and contentment. Yes. Rather than I think a lot of travel media is like rooting and making you feel discontent with your life. So I love Mm -hmm. that spin on it.
1: Or like going to an exotic new place, but I—I mean, we always say if you don't carry that gratitude or adventurous spirit, even if you go anywhere, you're not going to be able to really experience travel or adventure in that way because you're not. It's like it's kind of something within you that appreciates your surroundings you know right right because you could be miserable like traveling
0: (laughs) totally because if you go to the one spot you know like let's say you go to this sunny tropical location and it rains well if you just went to there to have like a particular experience and the experience Mm -hmm. isn't what you wanted it to be then you won't when you won't be Or if it wasn't,
1: you know, picture perfect that you could Correct. share on social right. media, then it's just not, it didn't even happen, you know, like that whole trip.
0: Correct. Yes, yes, I, yes, I totally love it. So that's why I really do think it's such a wonderful spin that you have on it. I think it's just rooted in something that I really value, you know, gratitude and contentment. So I love that. So my very last question for you then will be again, something I read that I just love. One of your interviews that I read, they asked, who is your favorite travel companion? And you said, well, can we say each other? And then you said, we actually fight a lot when we travel, but that's also because we're comfortable with each other. So we know we can express our frustrations. At the end of the day, we wipe the slate clean and get ready for a new day of adventures. So we do travel a lot as a family, but we're taking a three-week trip this summer down to your neck of the woods, the Southwest of the US. Yes, and my question is six of us in a car, two teenagers, two pre-teenage, what is your best advice for people traveling on creating, you know, a harmonious experience full of great memories?
1: I would say the more people you add, it is harder just because everyone, <laughs> I know. And, you know, because there's like more like a diversity of expectations or yes. things like hobbies or things people like. So yeah. I would maybe just say that everyone needs to communicate Yes, their expectations before you go, because yes. we've had some group trips gone bad before yes. just because we didn't communicate those things. And so just to make sure that you're, you know, maybe you're hitting like at least one thing everyone wants, like each person wants yeah. to do and I that they don't feel like advice. Yeah, that like one person doesn't feel like they're just being dragged along the entire thing that like they're being listened to or at least, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're putting those things into consideration before too.
0: Yeah. 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 And also deal breakers for people. Like I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have one kid who can't stand like certain, I think that's a, I think that's brilliant advice to just communicate Mm -hmm. expectations beforehand. And that's very much in line with what you said. Like we have to be able to express our frustrations. We have to be able to express how we feel. Nobody can get dragged Mm -hmm. along. I love it. I love that advice. That's awesome, Esther. So the last thing then is just tell everyone where they can find you and all of your amazing travel tips and guidance.
1: Okay. Most of our content is on our blog at localadventure.com. We have an Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, Facebook. Pretty much we have everything, but it's mostly secondary. So you can also follow us there. But if you search Local Adventure, you should be able to find us.
0: Awesome. Okay, Esther, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. I will be in touch. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Have a great afternoon. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks again to Esther for her time and story. You can find all of her contact information as well as this recipe in the show notes or over on the storiedrecipe.com. You can also find some related episodes that I really think you'll love. For instance, an interview with Monique Chan, who is a Michelin-starred pastry chef that reinvented the chocolate menu at the French Laundry, which Esther has named as one of her most exciting travel experiences ever. I'm keeping this outro brief again today, and simply reminding you that the Storied Recipe is more than a podcast. It is truly a community where we learn together how to be better cooks and global citizens. Please reach out if you have any questions for me or thoughts about episode. I'd love to hear from you at Becky at the storied recipe.com. Also, I depend on you for the growth of this podcast and would be appreciative forever. If you will forward this episode to someone who would enjoy it or leave a review over at love the podcast.com the storied recipe. Again, the link for that is in the show notes. And finally, I want to thank Ania for this lovely review. She says, I've always admired Becky's interviewing skills. She strikes a great balance between helping her guests feel like they're part of an intimate conversation while also helping her audience feel like they're part of the interview. It's a beautiful podcast about food, diversity, sharing real stories, and how food brings us all together. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Thank you, Ania, for this comment and for your friendship over on Instagram. And listeners, again, to leave a review, simply find the link right there in the show notes for lovethepodcast.com the storied recipe. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.